Hello, and welcome to episode nine of the Booze, Booms, and Busts podcast, the podcast that tries to blend both market commentary and market analysis with uh, beer consumption and beer reviewing. Uh, my name is Boaz Shoshan, and I'm joined, as ever, by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you doing this weekend? I'm hot, man. It's, it's, it's a hot day in the UK. It's like sure 30 is. degrees outside. This country's not built for heat. Like, aircon's not a thing here. Uh, nope. And just, just, just fans... And, and, and praying that's, that a cold breeze is going to flow through an open window. Yeah, it's like everyone, <laughs> we always, we always com- complain about the weather in this country. And then when the good weather comes around, we just complain about that as well. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. we're, really, we're just not happy. <laughs> no but, one's uh, happy with the weather in this country ever. Ever. Uh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. Unless, it's, it's, unless it's like a, a mild 20 degrees and overcast. Which is, which is a miserable kind of, because you want it to be sunny at least in 20 degrees, but it's usually overcast in 20 degrees. Then no one talks about the weather. Mm, yeah. And um, back in Aberdeen, uh, the, uh, we had what was called the, uh, the seasonal average, where uh, pretty much all year it was just overcla- overcast and kind of meh temperature or cold. Um, okay, it was almost <laughs> like all of the seasons just blend together. And then, you know, it's like when you mix all the colors together and it's just brown. Just similar way, you just, you just get all of the seasons together, and then it's just uh, it's just overcast and kind of uh, get too cold for t- for a t-shirt for most of the it's year. Like, you ask um, someone, "How's the weather today?" It's brown, and they would yeah. know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, uh, with it, with Aberdeen now back in lockdown, uh, tragically, uh, it, uh, it 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 I, I imagine the weather is well. Yeah, it definitely will feel even more compact, and uh, you know, everyone will be feeling much more uh, constrained, even than we are. Here, here in our rooms, uh, feeling very, very toasty with the uh, with the weather as it is. Um, but we should uh, we should crack on slightly to our uh, our beers now market uh, commentary. I think uh, this week we've got a, we've got a very good one to start with, which is uh, Duration. Well, I think that's a brewing. It's called Dripping Pitch, but Duration has been uh, has definitely been a massive bid for Duration in the last couple of weeks in the market, where we've got the uh, the U.S. ten-year bond, uh, the U.S. government debt, uh, well, a loan to the U.S. government uh, for ten years. As re- is almost plumbing uh, record lows uh, as as we record this earlier in this week, uh, it, on the, I think it was on the fourth of August, we almost well we pretty much grazed 0.5 percent of a yield, which is a very low level of interest to be lending to uh, to a government that has such a spending habit that the U.S. <laughs> does. But of course, they are the uh, you know, the world's reserve currency issuer, so they do get a a, a special privilege. But when uh, when rates are going this this low. It does mean a lot of bad things for, uh, well, pension funds, uh, insurance companies, uh, and things like that. It has been a, a very interesting week to see such a bid for duration. But Sam, could you tell us a bit about duration dripping pitch? Because I believe you've uh, you've poured yourself this one already. Yes, yeah, so this is a West Coast IPA, six point seven percent ABV, and uh, first first instance, first smell, it's it's delightful. It's got a definitely got a fruity kind of smell to it a tropical kind of fruity smell to it and uh first first few sips of this i've i've had mine in the uh zero degree section of the fridge for quite a few hours now so it's nice and cold uh which on a day like this is absolutely bang perfect what i like about this uh as well is on the can it actually suggests a temperature below five degrees as well i can't recall many cans actually giving temperature guidance on the actual can 
uh, vegan friendly. So assume by that it's also vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like it. It's, it's fruity, it's refreshing. And so far, it's, uh, I'm, I'm off to a good start with this for sure. Oh, right. Yeah, I've uh, pulled some out now. Duration Dripping Pitch, West Coast IPA. Uh, dripping Pitch is a decades-long experiment on the flow of a highly viscous liquid. Some would say IPA has also become a decades-long experiment changing and flowing with our tastes and location. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, an interesting one. So this is brewed in Norfolk um, and is brewed and the, and the brewery is called Duration. Have you ever been uh, to Norfolk just on that? Uh, I've, never, I've never been. I get the uh, the folks uh, sometimes slightly uh, slightly mixed up, but I do not believe I've been to Norfolk. No. My 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 grandfather uh, came over to England on a holiday uh, a number of times, and always always uh, always raved about Norfolk. And really? I don't I don't really know why. He also he may have got a bit confused because Norfolk Island is a small Aussie island. But just, just right. off of the uh, south, just in the South Pacific there, and and I, I I wonder if there's any sort of correlation between Norfolk Island and an actual Norfolk. Actual here. Norfolk, and it's not called yeah. Oh Norfolk, all right. So it's Norfolk Island. So it wasn't declared New Norfolk, you know, by settlers who uh, no Norfolkians who who headed off east. Um, we, I remember when I first came here because I you know as an Australian you know Norfolk Island you hear about that quite a lot, and then you come here and you hear about Norfolk. And uh, from what I gather, they're two very distinctly different places. <laughs> right. My, my pop, I mean, I can't call on him now. He passed away many, many, many years ago. But uh, he, he, he did love to, to come over and go to some strange places. So if anyone's from Norfolk, obviously, uh, yeah, the uh, Dripping Pitch and the Duration Brewery is from that way. Um, I, I might have to, we might have to get out there. I might have to get out there. And, and Yeah, we should go. We should go and give him a visit. Um, and on, it, on the idea of duration as well, just sorry, it just you no, just reminded me. Was it you that sent through a picture this week that over the last seven hundred years, uh, real rates have been in decline? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Actually, uh, it is. Uh, I, we should probably post it on our on our Twitter handle. Uh, there's, yeah. uh, it's probably one of the most crazy charts I've ever seen. Um, and I don't, I you know, there is so much data in the chart. You may it really makes you wonder because it's. It's going through seven centuries of data and the different types of debt instruments that are being analyzed, yeah. the different currencies they're denominated in, the different inflation metrics that we use to calculate inflation for the time. You know, it's there's so many things that could go wrong that it makes it hard to trust. But just as a spectacle, just as a financial <laughs> market spectacle, uh, it is an incredible chart, which is uh, which and it is making the claim that. Real interest rates, that's the, the rate of interest that a saver can earn or a, or a bank can earn uh, simply from lending out money. Uh, when you subtract the inflation, so you're talking about the real returns that can be made by, by savers and lenders, has been declining for seven centuries. Um, <laughs> and that's just quite a crazy claim, isn't it? Uh, and uh, makes, you, it makes you think about that because, uh, as you say, duration in such an environment uh, you would really over the last seven centuries, you know that in such an environment, you should really should be buying duration <laughs> if real yeah, interest exactly. rates are just going to go down. I mean, that's from you know the end of the Crusades uh, <laughs> all the way through to the present. Uh, saying you know if you if you if you had that long a time horizon, uh, duration would maybe be something that you'd be buying, or similar to duration, similar to a high duration bond, 
something like gold would have done you incredibly well over that period. Uh, I'm definitely on the gold side, considering all of the hyperinflationary events and the devaluations that went along that way. Um, and yeah, and, and indeed, it, it's, it, that uh, relates to uh, you know what's been going on this week, where gold and silver have, have been blowing up in quite a big way. But yeah, yeah we well, should, so uh, I was going to say, gold, gold's now what? Well over two thousand US dollars, and and silver's sort of tracking on its same, you know, similar tra- trajectory. Um, what, I mean, what the hell's going on there? Yeah, that's a it's a very good question. Um, it is, there, and there are many ways that you can look at it. One, the sheer steepness of the chart uh, that we've seen. Um, so, yeah, you know, just uh, just today, I mentioned now. You know, last month uh, was the best month for gold uh, in forty years. Uh, so forty that was, years. Yeah, yeah, forty years. Wow. So I think since nineteen seventy nine. Just if you're talking about percentage in, increase. Uh, however, this week. Uh, you know, up until so it's not exactly the you know it's not um, well now. I mean, we may yeah may as well go for it. I mean, it was it was only we were co- reporting it and sort of covering it um, uh, sort of yesterday time. But this week is looking like the best week for silver since uh, for forty years as well. So yeah. uh, it's it's been uh, you know silver's on an incredible run at the moment, and of course it's always thought of as very volatile, uh, but. Uh, you know, to actually make silver move in a in a big way in terms of the amount of buying and selling, you need an awful lot to really push it in, in the in the way that it has been pushed. So the there may be a short squeeze that has gotten on there. Uh, a lot of people may be trying to trying to short it very heavily, and they've uh, they've been wiped out and they've had to buy it up at a higher price, and that, that's pushed the price up. But the sheer degree has gone up. Um, I think a lot of that is also to do with uh, the amount of speculators. Uh, and people, I think there are a lot of people who are just aware that there is some crazy government spending going on right now. Yeah. Uh, and this is going to translate at some point into inflation. So they're, they're buying some silver. Uh, if you look at the, the ETFs, um, the ETF holdings of silver, they're, they're at all-time highs now. And they've gone up similarly crazy, crazy mm. steep. Um, we, we can maybe post that on, on, on the Twitter feed as well. But yeah, there's some... There's been some incredible action in silver. Silver is uh, is really doing its thing as uh, you know, gold schizophrenic little little sister, uh, yeah, and really really pushing you know, for it. I was gonna say it's 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 one of those things where you almost feel like there's a bit of FOMO that's kicked into gold and silver because there are, yep, like you said, yep. there's been massive inflows into the ETFs, right? So yep. it, it that that sort of lends, I think, the idea to the fact that. Uh, you know, maybe investors that haven't really thought or seriously considered sort of hard metals like gold and silver don't quite know how or aren't quite prepared to go and buy some bullion or to buy a, you know, a bucket load of, of, of silver and store it at home. So their path to entry is through these ETFs. And I don't like to say the Robin Hood crowd, but you kind of also get the feeling that there is that, that new investor, so we, we, like we know across the board, whether it be you know um, uh, providers like eToro or, or, or Hargreaves or Interactive Investors or Robinhood or Free Trade or um, uh, what are the you know all those all these new and and, and existing and incumbent um, brokers and, and investment uh, houses, they've all seen a massive spike in user numbers during this crisis, and you just kind of get the feeling that people have probably got a little bit more time to look at markets, to think about markets because, you know, they, they want to try and 
find some wealth somewhere <laughs> and and that as as the sort of money printing has has continued on and governments have gone down the path they've gone down with with this crisis and and just the incredible uh, amounts of of money printing that people have started to figure out well maybe there is some you know, maybe this is the, the gold and the silver and the hard metals. And, and we're seeing it again in, in, in Bitcoin as well and other cryptocurrencies. That this is a hedge against the financial system. And even these new investors have sort of come into this for, forum um, because of everything that's gone on. And they're like, well, we want something that's going to be very much anti the dollar in that sense. And, and so that flow as well into these ETFs is also continuing to push the price high. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in that sense. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's doing wonders to the, to the market, I suppose. Yeah. And with silver, I mean, it's, you, it's often referred to as, you know, poor man's gold uh, or as I, you know, I would say, you know, gold schizophrenic little sister, just because the volatility of it. It's in far more way- usable than gold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but then it kind of changes because the, just the, with gold, all the utility needs to be is to look pretty, right? To just <laughs> just looking at it is using it with gold, right? It's so so in a way, I think it, gold in I some ways is actually beauty's in the more, eye of the beholder, I guess. Right. Well, in this case, literally, because all it needs to do is for people to look at it, and it's actually being put to productive use because you know then people can lend money against it, and they, or they can wear it on their arm, and you know, or they can you know, make engagement rings out of it, or whatever. Sounds like it's an Instagram influencer. Yeah, pretty much, right? So, but I think that even people say, you know, silver has more, silver definitely obviously has more industrial utility. Yeah. Um, but, and that's what lends it a lot of, uh, a lot of these interesting side effects. It's kind of a chameleon because it's sort of in the middle between monetary metal and industrial metal. Hmm. Um, but the way, because it's so, silver is always seen so cheap for the punter, you know, for the speculator, uh, just the idea that, well, it, you know, it's just that, that sort of simple thought that, well, if gold is going to go up, then silver's gonna go up more. So that's what I'm gonna buy. And I think, I think there's a lot of that going on in the market yeah. from uh, people buying silver ETFs. Uh, when people are thinking, well, not only do I want to protect my purchasing power, I wanna earn a bit of money on top of that as well. So there's a bit of, the, bit of that greed coming in. Um, I, think, I think with silver, something I find quite interesting, cause you know how you you're saying about the anti-dollar there. So you've got yeah. gold, silver, and Bitcoin. Um, you know, this is, the, this is what I describe as the wing nuts portfolio right this is a politically incorrect collection of assets right if you own these things you know you know the 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 establishment or the uh you know the 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 statist in general is probably going to be opposed in some way to either one of the angles one of the aspects of these assets Mm, or to the ownership of the assets themselves uh simply because they are uh, they are they are they are a means of preventing uh, the state from forcing you to put your money to work in something, right? It's a way of uh, preventing, you know, you don't, if you're in physical bullion, you do not, uh, that means you do not have the money in the bank where the bank could be lending out to pro, uh, productive ent- enterprise. It means you're not owning any shares where a productive enterprise may be uh, using a shareholder capital in order to finance expansion. Uh, and it cannot be, it is not being used. It cannot be taxed uh, if you own the physical stuff, you know, unless they come around and, uh, and take it off you. It cannot be taken off you in that way in order to finance the state either. So it is seen as the ultimate unproductive asset for, by, by these people who think that you should be coerced by um, you know, government action into helping out, as, as they would describe, you know, doing your bit 
for the economy, uh, either by putting it in a bank, buying investments, lending it to the government, or letting it be taxed by the government. So the, this wingnut portfolio, those three things, uh, you know, it, they, I think they're sort of spiritual. Um, I think they're sort of spiritual buddies in some way, and they're owned by a lot of people who have uh, kind of similar um, skeptical of establishments, uh, skeptical of uh, state intervention, that kind of thing. They're, they're owned that's by that's a good position people. to take, though, because oh, oh, I no, mean, no, hundred percent. Yeah. But no, but well, all all I would say uh, on top of that, it, it, you know, I think that's a perfectly, I think that's a perfectly fine position for people to take. And I think it's a perfectly fine uh, thing for people to do with their money, indeed. Um, yeah. Always and, be skeptical. Know, I, I mean, I own all of these three things, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a very uh, very very happy chap. But uh, it is strange to me, and I say this as an owner of these three things, that these three things have gone up as much as they have together in the in the past few weeks. It is very strange to me uh, to see Bitcoin and silver going up at the same time, uh, because I really do think while they share some um, similarities. It is very strange for me to see that Bitcoin and precious metals are behaving in a similar way because people have always described them as being similar things. And you know, we've, we've described how they can be similar things. But in terms of their actual utility in the market, how they're used, how the market values them, in, in what environments that they go up and what, what drives their price, Mm. Yeah, Bitcoin and silver and Bitcoin and gold in terms of what uh, in terms of past in the past, how they how you know, when they've done well, when they have not done well, they they do not sing together. Right. They're not part of the set. They've not been part of the same choir. Gold and silver, uh, you know, gold does well when real interest rates are falling. Uh, Bitcoin has actually done well most of the time when when, you know, when duration is not being bid. Right? It's done well when yields are going up uh, and it's uh, and it's done well when technology is doing really, really well. Which is generally sort of like you know in a growth environment, um, and then silver, of course, this is when this is when industry is meant to be doing well and inflation is going higher. So, which isn't really what the way the same way that you would look at Bitcoin. So, while uh, I I like the wingnut portfolio and I think it's very it's a it's a great uh, it's a, you know it's a, a great collection of assets. I am personally very um, surprised uh, that all three are going up uh, at the same time. Well, I mean, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny. It's like I remember back, so I've just brought up a chart and I'm, I'm going back now to 2000 and sort of 9, 10, 11, after the, basically at the back end of the global financial crisis in 2008, right? And so the, the sort of the stock markets bottomed early sort of 2009, but silver went on a mental run from yeah. late 2008 right up until like early 2011 i mean uh what was it like four or five times uh higher and gold did the same thing like it just went on this they both went on this crazy multi-year run out the back of a crisis as did oil yeah yeah well exactly right and so that's the thing is that we have just we're still in the midst really of a massive crisis it's slightly different in the sense that the stock market has already well the, the american stock market has already bounced and pockets of that mainly the tech side of things has gone on to all-time highs which for me 
I mean, I'm all about tech investing, but there's just so much that suggests to me that a lot of that's in bubble territory. It's not funny. That's, that's a separate conversation. I, I think that this economic crisis, so the last one was sort of a banking crisis that ended up becoming an economic crisis, but the economic crisis was much more short term. Uh, I think impact that the impact was much more short term, but this one is different in terms of it's definitely an economic crisis off the back of, um, well, you know, the, the, the virus and, and the, the, the government response and central bank response to that. But I think that the economic recovery to this is vastly different because what has happened with the effective stop button, I mean, the, the kill switch was hit on economies, right? And the lag effect of that doesn't play out straight away while we're still under those kind of on off conditions. It's not until everything sort of comes out of the wash and, and we actually now start to return to productive industries that we really start to see all the economic ramifications, job losses, uh, mortgage defaults, all those sorts of things really play out. So I actually don't think that the crisis is really fully priced in yet, believe it or not. Right. And that silver, gold, these kinds of hard assets that traditionally do very well after a crisis has bottomed. Uh, I don't think we've really found the bottom of this crisis. The stock markets tell a different story, but economically we are still not fully in the bottom of this crisis. Whereas back in 2008, 2009, it was, it was very clear where the bottom became because it was effectively a banking system crisis because the conditions are so different here. I don't think that the economic implications have truly been understood or felt yet. And if that's the case, then what's happened in gold and silver and, and Bitcoin, these more, I guess what you would call hard assets. People can debate me about Bitcoin being a hard asset as much as they want, but nonetheless, I'm putting it in the same bag. I actually don't think we've really seen what's, going to come in that space just for the fact that the economically it hasn't really the the significance and seriousness of it hasn't actually really been appreciated yet by the wider uh population and and i think that i think that does wonders for these assets that are very much uh i guess a hedge against crisis yeah, or it definitely illustrates that there is that level of sentiment uh, about it. I mean, you, we've, you, you know, you've mentioned the, uh, the government intervention, but you've got the lockdown, and then we've got this massive fiscal just blowout. Um, I don't even know the correct way of you know, describing it, just the sheer amount of government uh, fiscal expansion. Um, and you know, plenty of it is saying, yeah, don't worry, it's, it's a loan, we're going to get it back, et cetera. But you know, is, that, is that really going to happen? Well, I read somewhere today that it's going to take at least a decade of economic growth, maybe two decades of economic growth just to get back to square. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for the, for the states involved, uh, for the government that's involved, it's like um, they're just trying to, they're just trying to keep their head above water. It's a bit, and you know, it seems there's a lot of uh, parallels to Japan and their their lost decade where regarding uh, economic growth. And you could uh, there's maybe an argument that could be made that uh, we're seeing the Japanification 
of their yeah. European yeah. countries, yeah. Uh, which may, may well be the case. But uh, to me, the I think what's interesting um, and, the, and the sort of looking for hard assets and you saying that we're not really out of the crisis. Um, I mean, we certainly aren't when you look at the lockdown situation. Uh, and we certainly aren't when it's talking about getting everybody back to work and things like that. Um, and so I think we're definitely not, we're not out of it by that measure by any means. Mm. In terms of the way it's bidding up hard assets, though, it's that there's the interesting conundrum for me is the inflation thing. So inflation yeah. expectations are still very low. Uh, very, very, those have not started exploding when you're yeah. looking at like the bond market and things like that. Um, however, and uh, you know, it's at that same time, we are seeing precious metals get bid up and gold especially. So gold, is re gold really functions uh, most of the time as, a, um, as, a, uh, as, a, as an extremely long duration bond, right? So imagine yeah. a bond that was actually a loan uh, that never got paid back. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a loan with, a, it's a mortgage with an infinite repayment date and no interest, right? Um, so that it, gold good does really, really well when it's really hard to get interest anywhere. Uh, and inflation's a big part of that because if inflation picks up, then the real interest that you can earn on anything is, is significantly lower. So, yeah. But the market is not expecting a lot of inflation at all. So I find that gold, surprising. Right, right. But, it, but gold is going up an awful lot. So it could be that the market's kind of splintered. And the, ex the inflation expectations market is not seeing something that gold is. That could be the case. Uh, you know, people are always talking about how, you know, they always, they always look to gold like it's this oracle. It's like, you know, the gold, the gold is sniffing out something in the future, uh, which the rest of the market can't see. Um, and that may well is be it, the case. Interestingly, no one seems to ever say that about silver. They think silver is this drunken crazy idiot that's just <laughs> like all over the place it's like the uh inappropriate uncle at christmas <laughs> yeah or or like you know just the you know the you know, so, you know some you know uh, somebody who uh you know who bumped their head really hard and now they need you know someone to look after them that kind of thing <laughs> um you know it just needs to follow them around everywhere and make sure they don't say anything inappropriate um but it, it, i find it interesting that inflation expectations are still not really picking up in a, in, a, in a big way, even though, um, as uh, quite a few commentators like Russell Napier pointed out, you know, M2 growth, when you're talking about the actual money that commercial banks are creating, is exploding as a result of governments guaranteeing loans, uh, which is something they haven't done before. It's another difference from the, from the last crisis. Uh, you know, governments were not uh, guaranteeing commercial bank loans into the real economy in order to drive uh, consumer borrowing and consumer spending. Um, so it's interesting that there isn't the inflation and yet gold is doing so well. Um, and, I, and I do wonder about what that means because that then quite, you then start questioning, well, why is silver doing really well? Because silver really does need inflation. Well, it does really thrive in inflation. The, the lack of high silver that we've seen for several years was seen as a result that we're in a disinflationary environment with threats of deflation uh, because silver really starts to do well when there is industrial engagement and there is higher inflation when the you know when there is people spent people are making machines and people are buying machines and the prices are going up that's 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 when well, silver do you, does really really well do you, do you think that they're both sniffing it do you think they're maybe both front-running effectively inflation well that's what it could be but then why is the rest of the market so out of touch with that i mean what what player in in the gold market is 
aware of something that the rest of you know but inflation expectations you know if you're talking about uh the inflation protected uh, bonds why aren't they picking it up either because the guys that would buy gold uh, on a big level institutional level that who would be forced into that market would be the same players who would be in that inflation protected securities market um, wouldn't wouldn't, so wouldn't the play be to to buy up gold now in anticipation of inflation inflation kicks in or starts to kick in but before it starts to really kick in you sell your gold and then once inflation does kicking effectively eroding the real purchasing power of gold then you find your position back into it again so it's almost just like trading the gold market while things are getting bid up because of the idea of uh, economies effectively just being run into the ground. Could be, but the gold market is for, for the gold market to move as, um, as rapidly as it has. I mean, you're talking going at hitting that $2,000 level is something that people oh, have, yeah, you know, the, has been the, prophesied, you know, for, for ages, for years. You look at, been talking you, about this. When you look at the, the charts, you just think that does that like no, no, that doesn't continue forever because just it never does. You know, this, like you say, the, the, the speed in which these things have popped. I mean, silver, as you look at the silver chart um, just in the last, since March, look at the gold chart since, yeah, March. And it's, it's almost vertical, which in any market is just batshit crazy. We, we, we saw vertical in crypto in 2017, 2018 and Bitcoin. And, you know, at no point we've seen it in, in tech stocks we've seen it in a lot of things it at the time it's just like absolute euphoria and it's like oh wow this is just just getting started and then we know that those sorts of vertical um upticks just aren't sustainable they always have some sort of correction in them so it you, i mean it's you wonder how how much more they go vertical but you also know that Every time it steps up that much higher, you're another step closer to that correction really kicking in hard. How do you mean by that? Well, so you think about it like, well, it's, it's, it's like any sort of pop in, a, in an asset class. Uh, for instance, you, again, if you go back and look at, say, gold in 2011, when in like, so again, I'm looking at the chart, uh, 26th of May, 2011, uh, 1500 USD per ounce, uh, by 25th of July, 1837. And then a month later, uh, another 200 wiped off of it. All of these, all, every asset class that peaks and, and just goes on that very fast vertical leap. Um, it, you know, it, there, there's a point in which it retracts happened in cryptocurrencies it happens to stocks it happens happened to gold silver precious metals platinum palladium uh everywhere along the line i mean when you when you get into short term sort of views on this which i mean if you take the long view if but you you've got to be taking you know a multi-decade long view then it doesn't you know these sorts of things don't matter but for investors that are buying into say gold now that are new, they've never bought gold before and they're buying into an ETF at $2,031. You've kind of got to think about, okay, well, what's, what's my expected return out of this? Am I, am I looking for gold to, to rise another 50%? Am I expecting $3,000 for an ounce of gold? You know, am I going to get a 50% return out of this in the next six months, year, when you consider that 
you know, that's, I mean, was it, uh, in January it was 1500 and we're now at 2000. Um, so yeah, I guess I mean, just, it, just, just using that, I mean, I think that, that, um, a statistic uh, by itself, it I think, tells you an awful lot about this market because gold. I mean, you you saw what you talk about as an investor allocating to it, expecting high returns. Yeah, I think that I think the mindset. I mean, I think that's you know a speculator's mindset. Certainly, I think the gold investor's mindset in general is uh, viewing gold as a form of insurance. So you you buy the insurance not because you expect you want your house to burn down. Uh, and what you do, I'm wanting the payout. You buy the insurance as there as as a hedge against crazy things happening because you can see a lot of crazy things happening. Um, and I think the I think that that gold allocation uh, and you know we, there's been a lot of a lot of good research on it. just owning gold in a portfolio um, as a reserve asset. So instead of owning a lot of cash, for example, you own some gold instead. It does wonders for reducing the overall volatility of oh, absolutely, absolutely in terms of prices. So I, I think, I think, I think with the, when you get into things like the silver market, I think there really is that speculative capital there, which is like I, you know, I'm going to think, uh, you know, people thinking it's going to be fifty dollar an ounce silver. I think there are there are people there who are throwing money into it like that. Uh, I think with see, gold, I think that I think that's in gold as well right now. I think I think we, people are going into gold now at two because people are buying. Where there's a seller, there's a buyer. Where there's a buyer, there's a seller. I think people are buying in at two thousand, expecting it to go to four within like months. Yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah, I, definitely. But I just think as a um, I, yeah, there there always there have been people expecting ten thousand dollar gold for a very long you know for a long time. Yeah, uh, but in terms of the um, uh, as and this is just a guess, but in terms of the. Uh, proportion of those buyers, those buyers and holders, because gold is something that is much more mature as an asset class in terms of its ownership. Uh, you know, you don't get institutional buyers um, that are owning silver, and there are or, or very few who own gold. But those that do, they they own gold, they don't own silver. In terms of the um, the profile of the individual who's bidding that market up. Um, I think silver is definitely a speculators. Uh, I think is there's a lot more, more speculators so. yeah. in, in yeah. silver than there is in gold. Um, with but with gold, yeah, it all it all depends on the, on the uh, the attitude you take with it. Because you know, if you're thinking gold is going to um, four thousand dollars, right? You know that that that's not just gold that's done that, right? The, there is a reason that this has happened. Gold is a very liquid market. As well, it's one of the reasons why uh, all these central banks and all these governments own gold is is not actually because they want they're thinking the price is going to go up. That's not the prime reason. Maybe maybe it is for a few of them. But uh, in terms of why the, this is owned, is because it's a liquid asset. Right, you can buy any any currency with gold uh, at pretty much any time. Uh, in fact, at any time. Well, you can the, buy the market's currency, liquid. Right? If you yeah, if no, you've, no. If, but, if you've got neutral. bricks of it, it's not liquid. Um, no, I, I, on the contrary, actually, if you have bricks of it, it is. So if you're if you're plugged into the Bank of International Settlements, then yeah, you can you they they will very happily uh, yeah. be trading bars and bars and bars of that around. Uh, and uh, how but, many investors are plugged into the International Bank of Settlements? Uh, well, they, in fact, in effect, if you're playing the gold market, you are because that is where an awful lot of that gold being traded, a lot of that gold volume. It, that, and what is setting the price of gold is coming from the BIS, right? It's coming from, well, it's only, in, uh, it's, and it's done in a way that doesn't, uh, doesn't make the market crazily volatile. Uh, they have their own system for trading. But in terms of the price of gold uh, and central banks buying it, it, it is rooted through the BIS. And, it, and that, that impulse is reflected in the gold price. 
So it, you may not uh, you may not need to be plugged into the BIS, but the BIS is affecting, uh, and that that gold trading um, you know, desk and uh, mm. and the gold trading of these uh, major institutions that is affecting the gold price. Uh, so if you do have big bars of it, uh, yeah, I mean it is it is liquid enough that you can uh, you can flush a huge amount of money into that. And you won't do a massive dent to the price. And that is actually why these institutions have it. Because uh, imagine if you've got lots and lots of money uh, and you need somewhere to, put, to park it. You don't care too much about, um, about earning interest, but you've not got a pension. You're not needing income. However, mm. you don't want the money to lose its value. What do you do with it? Well, you don't go... Um, at the same time, if you're, you're, you want to be neutral, if you're a government or if you're a, an institution of the government, you can't, you're not a member of their foreign policy team, right? So you can't be seen to favor one country's bonds over another. You can't be saying, you know, if you're, uh, you know, you're, you're the Russians or whatever, you don't want to be going and buying U.S. Treasury bonds because you know, that, 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 bit, that makes it a very political thing. Um, and if, you know, you're in Eastern Europe or if you're Turkey or, you know, whoever, going for another country's bonds to earn some income uh, is a political problem, and it is also you're also at at uh, you're you're putting your wealth uh, in the hands of a foreign uh, country's government in hopes that they don't inflate it and destroy it. So what do you do instead? Well, you just you buy gold with it, so it's neutral. It's the it's the world currency, um, and and because there is that demand for gold all the time in that way, because all these governments do want a neutral asset, um, that that makes the gold market incredibly liquid. It really can absorb an awful lot of um, an awful lot of trading and that and that sort of is circular in that way as well because gold becomes more attractive because uh if you own gold that means you could and you need dollars uh well you know if, if you if there's ever a squeeze within your own country's domestic society where there's um you know a lot of indebtedness uh you know the, the banks are going bust because they've borrowed too many dollars and they can't pay it back uh, well that bank doesn't own dollars but it owns gold and it can immediately go into the gold market flush loads of gold down there and get those dollars and help out without it being a massive mm. foreign policy issue. And that's something gold bugs don't really like to uh, talk about because they think gold is the key here. You know, gold is the, is the uh, you know, gold is the best part of it. This is the, the they will love that these guys are owning gold because gold is great. And it's rather than looking at the utility of gold in that with gold, you can buy anything. Um, and that, that's, um, I, that, that really helps make the gold market incredibly liquid. It really can absorb an awful lot of buying, a lot of selling. Um, and so when, you, when we're seeing the, the price being driven in this way, I'm skeptical that it's uh, by punters who think it's really, it, you know, that, that so much of this, uh, you know, so much of this price rise is driven just by the everyman who, uh, who, who just wants it to go to 4K, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, inter it's interesting. I mean, it, I try and look at it and put myself in the shoes of a, of, a, of a salary and wage earner that's just wanting to invest in the markets and is trying to find something that's going to generate some sort of wealth return in the long, in the long run. And I, it kind of comes down to a bit, for me, opportunity cost in terms of there's no doubt that since the turn of this century, that gold has done exceptionally well. I mean, another 30% higher. And, and I think you're probably looking at about 10 X return from 2001 when it comes to the price per ounce. So, I mean, over, over two decades, that's pretty goddamn good. So in that sense, you know, the long-term duration 
makes sense to have gold as part of a portfolio. And, and to be fair, I, every time I ever talk about long-term view on investing, which is pretty much my, my bag, it's always been about long-term, you know, short-term, you can make, you can make short-term money, you can make it quick, you can make it on speculative stocks and speculative assets, but really to build wealth is a long-term game. And, you know, gold continues to be a part of a portfolio construction. I don't, there's no two ways about it. It's something that everyone should really be considering as part of a long-term investment plan, I, I think. Because when you just look and you look at it as, a, as an asset class, but then you've also got to consider timing as well. And, and it's, you know, I, if, you're, if you're new to investing or if you're just starting to invest, and I think about, all these people that are maybe in their twenties and that have got a you know duration of the next you know 30, 40 years, you know, do you look at gold now and do you see it as an attractive entry point at where it is, even though it could go a little higher in the short term? You know, where's the opportunity cost in that? Do do you go gold now? Do you go back to stocks? Do you go into alternative assets like cryptocurrencies? Where's the real long-term value play? Not necessarily that you avoid the market completely, but how much of your capital you allocate to any particular part of it. So it's difficult because gold has clearly recently been on such a run, same with silver, and it's, it's, it's done great and it's been great for people to have in their portfolio. Unless you got it into your portfolio in sort of mid-2011, then it's just been okay. If it, if it came into your portfolio in early 2000s, it's been smashing. Or in mm. 2018, it's been smashing. So timing has an element of, of it as well. Oh, massively, massively, it yeah. just scares uh, I mean, me when I see these sorts of vertical runs because with those an vertical asset as runs, big as gold, yeah. Absolutely, because they just those vertical runs don't just last forever, not over a short term duration. Mm. Um, unless, so yeah, it, unless you're in a yeah, in a country that's hyperinflating its currency or something. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we, yeah, which you know, it it could happen, but is somewhat unlikely in sort of the UK, Europe the us yeah 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 I, I, just to um just to clarify that because I, I, I don't think i've actually commented on uh, on you know where, where i think it's going but i do think there will be a i think there will be a, a shakeout there and i think pretty soon yeah when we are when you're looking at silver just uh really just whacking it out the park uh you know, there will <laughs> be a, 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 the park. you know it really will um your markets aren't, aren't going to carry on like that unless unless there's something crazy that's been going on in silver that we're not familiar that, that nobody knows about yet um i really do think that there's going to be a shakeout and, the, and you know silver's been shaking out people for years all right yeah, you know, yeah. And it's, it's, it's similar with bitcoin with it with the pumps and the dumps uh in terms of uh, you know if you're if you're definitely looking at the market on a short-term basis i think there will be a shakeout and i think there will be a, a buying opportunity on that shakeout for both gold and silver i think there will yeah. be because uh, right now all it takes is you know a small rise in that in um, in that in that ten year treasury bond right if you're looking at u s ten year it, it would only be i think you'd only need really quite a small sell off in uh, the u s ten year you know making that yield rise a bit and, you know a sell off in duration ultimately uh, or even just a rise in the u s dollar more broadly i think that would really well not really but it would definitely put uh, something of a of a halt or a, a slowing effect on uh, both the, the rise of gold, and it seems to be silver is falling gold, so you know it would be more exaggerated in the silver price. I think there will be a pullback. However, at the same time, you know you're speaking about you know the the young individuals who are um, who are thinking about uh, who've just gotten into their earning years and they're thinking yeah. of allocating. If you're allocating, because FOMO your... kicks in here as well, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there and there. I mean, that's what did happen ultimately. I think in uh, you know that that 2011 boot, you got a, um, you, you got the point where uh, the Bank of England governor, governor Mervyn King, uh, was, uh, you know, people. He was getting off the tube station at Bank, and people were handing him leaflets on how to buy physical bullion. <laughs> uh, and uh, he went into the Bank of England, you know, at the, at the, the next meeting he had that morning and said, you know, we need to do something about this because people are going to get suckered into this and, you know, they're going to lose lots of money if they buy too much gold. Uh, and interestingly, I, I was told the story by uh, a member of the World Gold Council, which is a, a lobbying group for gold, which uh, lobbies uh, on behalf of the gold miners to uh, major institutional investors saying this is why you should own some gold. Um, and he told me this story, and he used to work at the Bank of England. That was pretty much the only time he'd seen Mervyn King even mention gold was the fact that he had been, uh, you know, propositioned by some uh, somebody who was leafleting, uh, saying to you know you need to buy gold. And that was at that peak. And you know, people who bought back then, you know, they're only just breaking even now. Um, and you know, it, yeah, but exactly. if you're looking from a long-term perspective, uh, I think I really don't think it matters too much if you are if you're that youngster that is uh, only going to sell this stuff in like 20, 30 years, mm. um, then, you know, I, re I, I really don't think it's going to matter too much because there's an awful lot of printing to be done, Sam. Yeah. An awful and, lot. You know, there's a great saying that I, I, I can't remember when I first heard it, but it was fucking decades ago. <laughs> it's about <laughs> time in the market, not timing the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that rings so true. And I, and I was, I've always been an advocate for investing young, investing early. You know, you don't have to completely piss away your beer crawl money into the markets, but you should always be trying to contribute to it because the long game wins in investing. Um, you know, we never know what's coming in the future, but when we learn from experience and history in all asset classes, the long game, more often than not, uh, plays out well for those that are smart enough to understand that that's how you know that's how you build wealth. It's long term. Yeah. You know, on that on that note, there was a, there was a saying I saw recently, which I thought uh, you know I thought there was an awful lot of um, there was an awful lot of value in it, where it was just someone saying that uh, people's houses, you know, in this country, we're uh, crazy into bricks and mortar, as are you Aussies, indeed. Oh, uh, gotcha. People's <laughs> people people's houses are seen as their biggest investment. Yeah. Um, and they're often seen as uh, somebody's greatest investment. Uh, but the reason that that is, is because they're locked into it and they, they can't sell it for 20 to 30 years. Right? So the That's argument right. was the reason why people are so good, at, people see houses as such a, a good investment when housing may not be a good investment, but just because mm. you are forced not to sell it um, during that period, it's a reason why it does people so well, which I thought was an interesting and it's yeah. interesting twist on it. I, uh, but I, we I, have a, I, so I, just one more thing on the property thing is I could bang on about property forever because people get sucked into the idea that property always goes up and that's because people buy it and then they usually sell it decades later. And so your two points of um, basically comparison are decades apart. But if there was a market that could track the value of your property on a minute by minute daily basis, people would shit themselves about owning property because it would be crazy <laughs> volatile. It's just because it's so illiquid and because there's not an up-to-date real-time uh, trading mechanism that tracks the value of your house, people just assume that it always goes up. And so, you know, like you said, Aussies are mad keen in, into property and it's like a cultural thing as they are in this country. But yeah, um, yeah. 
maybe you, know, you guys get it from us. <laughs> hey, maybe that's a conversation for another podcast because, uh, you know, asset classes in general, whether it be metals, whether it be stocks, whether it be alternative assets, whether it be cryptocurrencies or property, each have, uh, you know, ups and downs and, and people often forget about a lot of them. Um, because they're just, you know, they're not switched on or they have too much information or too much data. Or, or it might just be, you know, the thing you do. I mean, in this country, the thing you do is get on the property ladder. It's a security thing, thing, right? It's like a safety blanket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, I think this is the longest we have ever spent without actually reviewing the beer. That we we have, and I've actually beer. even started on the second one, which isn't even really a beer. <laughs> It's not even really a beer, to be fair. So, I mean... We, yeah, but, well, uh, don't, don't give anything away, Sam. We need to review the first one first. Okay, so okay. We, here we have Dripping Pitch by Duration. Um, an interesting beer uh, from Norfolk. I would say this was uh, quite refreshing. Uh, nice and hoppy. Hoppier than you would... Um, hoppy than, hoppier than would be forgettable, I would say. 6.7%. Tastes to me more like 6%. Um, and... Uh, nice, nice and refreshing. I think uh, having it as cold as possible is better yes. than having it slightly tepid. Uh, but I would give this, I think, uh, from our rating system where triple B plus is the best and triple A minus is the worst with double B, single B, and then single A, double B to triple B. Uh, I think on that on that scale, I would give this a B plus. Ah, I knew you'd say that. I literally, right. I, I, I literally, in our, in my little um, notes thing, I, I had you down before you even said it. I, I just felt like this was a B plus for you because. Oh damn! I agree with you. Uh, it, it, it tastes uh, and ha- it, it's not as, it's not as strong as it suggests with the alcohol. Um, it's definitely refreshing. It's definitely better the cooler you have it, without right. doubt. Uh, but I I enjoyed it as well. It's uh it's really I enjoyed it a lot. I, again, I I like that. I like a little bit more f- fruity kind of taste, uh, and the West Coast IPAs seem to have a little bit more of that about them. Um, yeah, I, I I'd enjoy knocking a few of those back, and and they they get you pretty sloshed pretty quick. But I'm with <laughs> you. I'm I, I agree with you on that. I think a B plus rating is um is very apt for the uh, duration dripping pitch. Yeah. Now, in terms of our, our next beer, it is not a, this is very non-standard for booze, booms and busts. It definitely qualifies as booze. However, it is not a, your average uh, kind of beer, as this is a mead, which of course is not, uh, it's not quite the same thing and I'm made, made differently. Uh, contains a fair bit of honey in there uh, and all manner of other goodies, uh, which I don't, you know, I don't know the process for making mead. But is, uh, this one is by, uh, this is the Y Valley Meadery, Y spelled W. Y E. This is sparkling mead, honey, and hops. And uh, this is uh, made in Wales. Uh, it contains sulfites, apparently. Uh, and uh, I'm not seeing any vegetarian or vegan logos, which is uh, kind of refreshing considering the amount of these that we've had. But Sam, you've already started on this. So uh, I've almost finished like it. Taste. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite small, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's it's in a bottle. It's a three thirty mil bottle. Um, it's four percent, so it's pretty light on. So the reason this came in is just I, 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 a couple of Christmases ago at the South Bank Christmas markets, I uh, I had some warmed mead uh, with a shot of Kraken in it, and it was so delightfully tasty that when I was looking through the beers to buy and mead popped up, um, albeit not a beer, it isn't mead, obviously. Um, I was like, you know what? I haven't had a, a cool, a chilled mead 
And I thought we'd give it a taste because it is booze, booms, and busts. And while we do predominantly drink and uh, you know give our, our views on the beer, um, we you know we're more than happy to expand into other areas of the booze area. I know Bo, as you were suggesting, uh, maybe even dabbling in some of the spirits at some point, which I think we'll quite happily uh, get onto. That might be an, <laughs> uh, an after hours podcast. Quite. Um, but what what I find interesting about this is yeah, honey and hops. Uh, 12,000 miles flown for the honey in this bottle, which pretty much uh, gets you back to Australia, which is interestingly enough. So I imagine this little bee from from Melbourne flying all the way to the UK to give his honey uh, to the the creation of the sparkling mead. Um, but it's nice. It's it's sweet. It's it's obviously doesn't have the same sort of uh, taste as a beer. It's almost like it's almost like a strong squash, if that makes sense. With yeah. like a like a lemon squash with a big dash of honey in it and some alcohol content. Yeah, I must say this is uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's it's quite light on the alcohol. I think this. Yeah, I think uh, the a negative for this is is only four percent. And if you're yeah. drinking a mead, you know, you kind of expect it to be you know something to pack a bit more of a punch. So I don't even taste much much of the booze in this, but it is a very nice taste what you can taste in terms of the, you know, sort of honey, honey flavors of it. Um, it is, yeah, very nice. It's quite heavy. I mean, it makes you on a hot day. It's, um, yeah, you know, it's quite, uh, it's not super it's refreshing, he- is it? Not super, but it does taste very, very nice. Um, I'm just looking on the back, you know, they're, uh, the, uh, buying this mead will enable us to continue our beekeeping projects and provide bees for schools. Schools has been capitalized for some reason, uh, but it's always <laughs> they're good to, shouting uh, it schools <laughs> yeah for the yeah well well just uh, just the capital s um oh okay yeah, but yeah so, yeah sadly not but however it is always good to support the bees because they are getting absolutely annihilated out there so i'm uh, yeah. i'm happy we got this one it's uh it is yeah it's, it's an interesting one to mix it up a bit in terms of yeah a, uh, yeah well in terms it, of a, it, as you've almost finished it what's your rating on um yeah so look i i i enjoyed it I, I like the fact that it's a bit different from beers it's it is sweet, but it's quite easy to drink and it's quite smooth. As I said, it doesn't taste like there's really much alcohol content in there at all. Um, it almost it almost reminds me of the old Bacardi breezes you used to be able to get when you'd go out to uh, the Corner Hotel in Richmond in Australia, but just with a little bit more um, denseness to it. Um, look, for me, I, having drunk pretty much most of it now, because we did go on a lot uh, <laughs> in between drinks that so I just had to keep drinking it. Um, as sweet as it is, it's hard to compare it against some of the beers. Um, I'd like to maybe try some other meads to give some comparative uh, nature to it, but I'll definitely give this a B. I think I'd enjoy a few of these, um, maybe in the slightly warmer, uh, slightly cooler conditions. So come autumn time, I think I could probably have a few of these in, in the fridge uh, and crack them open and enjoy them a little bit more. But like I said, I think I'd probably want a little bit more punch in my next meads. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the sort of differences between you and I with uh, reviewing these is, and uh, I, I think you're definitely the more prudent uh, when it comes to this, is you're always looking at how many of these, how many duplicates of this could I consume? And I'm, I'm always thinking, looking at it one at a time. So I generally just have loads and loads of different ones. Um, yeah, the, the the prospect of consuming, say, six of these in an evening uh, does not fill me with um, excitement. 
uh, for sure. <laughs> However, but you know, you know, by itself uh, on its own, it does. It is very nice. Um, that yeah, for me, the main main drawback is the fact that it doesn't have higher alcohol content. I think for as sweet as it is, um, and it is. It is, you know, relatively relatively light. I would be very interested to know what this would taste like if they had really tried to push the alcohol content up. Do you know but what would be said, interesting in well, this as well is what it would taste like if it was a little bit warmer. But it's sparkling. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. You can have you can have um, you can have uh, warmed up sparklings. That sounds like heresy to me. Um, <laughs> I've never heard you sound more Scottish than that right now. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, is mead something that people have, have warmed up in the past? Um, yeah, I mean, because I'm, I'm not really big on the mead scene. Because uh, I, I know it's consumed in a manner of different ways. Well, several different uh, sort of uh, different, different ways serving in different um, volumes. And I think the one that we've got here is, is because it's combined with hops, I don't think that's what they normally do, right? I don't think um, mead is normally infused with hops, uh, so I don't think we're maybe getting the best reflection of what the uh, what the what the, the mead market is. True. But I probably should give my. I think my rating for this would be. Um, I think for this, I'd give it a. I think I'd give it a B. Yeah, just like you. I think uh, yeah. a single B. It's it's great, but they. I think they could have. Maybe they were trying to go mass market with it or something, but uh, I think it could have had a lot more uh, alcohol punch. Uh, yeah um this is Definitely. yeah it's really quite really quite mild but yeah sam uh, in terms of i think we've we've run on for quite a while here um, we have we got quite carried away there for a while that was a, that was a very robust discussion yeah yeah it, no this was a good one though um it feels for some reason like it's been ages since we've done one of these maybe it's just been quite a long week um <laughs> yeah, that was that was episode nine of triple uh, of triple b this is uh yeah very good indeed and we shall be back with episode 10 uh, next week uh, for the episode 10 as it is uh, you know this is quite a quite quite a celebration we should probably come up with something special to do on it but in the meantime um, but in the meantime uh, I think we'll uh, I think we'll pack it in for today Sam thank you very much for joining me uh, if you're listening to this uh, do uh, I do hope you have a very good weekend or you're currently enjoying your weekend as it is and we shall be back again with the next one we'll see you then